Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 25. All right. How are you guys doing this week? Doing well. Tired, but good. This weekend was the Cincinnati Blues Festival, one of the little apps that I do on the side. That's what all the time I spend on is for. So it's a fun time. Cool. Do you have any usage stats from it where people get in their Jazz Fest app on? Blues Fest. Is, Blues that's Fest not Fest. the same thing? Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a small app, and it's always climbing. Uh, each cool. year it gets a little bit more popular. Well, that's, that's the right direction to be heading. Yeah. And overall, I'm happy with it. Do you do anything different in the app based on whether or not they're at the, the venue or versus um, before the show or at home? Uh, not so much. I mean, there is like a favorite screen and it will uh, show like upcoming shows. So like upcoming highlighted shows. So before the, the festival starts, there's always the same ones up there. And then as the festival progresses, different ones take precedence over shows that have already shown. So that's about it. I want to take it much further. Sounds fun. There, there's definitely some use cases to for like when you're actually at the festival. Yeah, we've looked at doing apps for several different events, and they're all a little bit different. You definitely have to think about the context of when you're at the event, or or if you're you know a week or two before the event and planning to to go selling tickets or planning what you're going to do while you're at the event, or you're not able to to attend but you want to follow along. So there's a few different use cases there that. You, you can treat the user differently based on what kind of experience they want. Yeah, definitely you want to tailor the, the experience to being in or out of the ship, the festival. And that's with all apps, too. Yeah. You can use things like location-based services to help with that or, or not. Just use time-based things, too. It's a great example of the power of mobile and understanding the context of where and how your user is using the app to make the experience better and focusing on the content that really matters for what they're doing at that moment in time. Right. Biggest thing I think that I was annoyed with this year was that I use Google Analytics and I'm getting a lot of uh, spam bots polluting my logs. So it makes things a little bit harder to filter through and look and see what's going on. It kills me. You know, spammers always want to ruin a good thing. So are you using, is, is this focused on like iOS 7, iOS 8 or, you know, what's your minimum target there? Well, currently it's 7 and I was looking at my usage counts over this past weekend and i thought well i can definitely drop seven support this next time around there'll be a fall or a winter festival next year early early 2016 there'll be a winter festival and i'll probably drop seven support and go straight to eight so and ios 9 is getting closer and closer we just received beta 5 have you guys tried that out yet it's awesome it's awesome on the phone it's awesome on the watch it's almost like they turned off all the debugging code and like uh, performance is normal once again. I'm actually wearing my watch again. That's how good Beta 5 is. So battery life is as good or nearly as good as iOS 8, a watch OS 1, I guess. So far for me. Yeah, it has been for me as well. Excellent. I might have to finally uh, pick up the Beta and install it on my main devices. Yeah. Sometime around this time of the year, Apple starts uh, certifying their OS for the carriers to use. So uh, th we're getting pretty close to that. I doubt we're going to see a beta 6 until we get the release candidate in uh, September. I mean, it's possible, but two more weeks from now would put us pretty close to the actual release time. So this is probably the last beta we're going to get for a while, but 
Luckily, it seems a lot more solid than the last beta that we got for our iOS 8. Yeah, I mean, there's there's still going to be apps that are broken, so find a compatibility list out there and see if there's something that would be a deal breaker for you. But yeah, I'd say it's probably ready for, for prime time now, at least on the iOS and watchOS side of things. Yeah, I've got it. I've got the betas running on test devices, but I've been holding off on updating my primary devices just because I do use them all day, every day, and don't want to sacrifice my personal experience until I think the beta is ready. Yeah, there's there's kind of been an interesting Sega over the past week or two uh, with the uh, El Capitan betas and the Xcode betas kind of going back and forth. It seems like they made some type of internal change to how Xcode stores its uh, SDKs for the various different OS versions. And so there's an El Capitan beta that came out, um, which was which broke Xcode. Uh, Apple released like, hey, run these command line commands to move some things around. And then when you're update, use this command to move it back. So that that fixed Xcode 7. But when they uh, released a new update to El Capitan, it broke Xcode 6.4 for a lot of people, although Xcode 7 was fixed. And I think the official line there was like, eh, if you're using El Capitan, don't bother with Xcode 6.4, uh, <laughs> which was kind of disappointing. It, I've seen some blog posts maybe that have a fix to it, but I haven't tried it yet. I've actually uh, got El Capitan running on my laptop, which used to be my main device. And I have switched to using a hack the Hackintosh. We talked about it a while ago as my my main device. So I'm sticking around there being stable for now, which is kind of reverse of what you would normally think. But it's running the the stable OS. So <laughs> so your Hackintosh is running Yosemite. Yeah, ten and it's ten four. Your yep. stable development machine. Okay. Yep. Well, sometimes you, you do what you have to do. But you've said this machine is even stronger than most of your other machines, right? Oh, yeah. So, like, my I've got a late 2013 uh, Retina MacBook Pro. It's got, like, 2.5 gigahertz or something like that. i7, which is quad-core but no hyper-threading, I guess because it's a laptop. And my, my Hackintosh has a 4.3 gigahertz, one of the most recent i7s that's quad-core has hyper-threading, so I get pretty good performance out of it, and I have a pretty beefy graphics card in there that you can't get unless you get, like, a Mac Pro or something, so it's been really snappy for me on my my 4K display, way snappier than my laptop was, which is why I've kind of been using it as my main machine. Yeah, my late 2013, yeah. 2013 is uh, a little bit laggy on my 4K display, so I can feel your pain. Yeah, I don't have it anymore. <laughs> it's, I mean, it still doesn't just work. Uh, I mentioned before that there's always some little weird issues in kind of the current one is that iMessage does not work. Apple, I guess, has gone hardcore about authenticating iMessage, and they check all kinds of crazy stuff that Hackintoshes uh, don't easily meet the requirements for. Which it might may have actually made me a little more productive, but it, yeah, it's a kind of odd thing. Is the only thing that doesn't work. <laughs> Maybe they're trying to fight those damn spammers too. It could be. I remember there was like an iMessage clone that came out for Android a while ago, so I wonder if they like put things on lockdown back then. Yeah, so, that, that could be. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think in retrospect, um, the biggest feature of iOS eight that I miss because I can't use it. Uh, after, you know, over a year is, is all the size class stuff. And I think that's the biggest thing for most people that Iowa 7 is holding them back from. Maybe there's other things, but. You can use size classes. It's a little bit tricky. The only thing you won't get is, uh, 
compact height support with size classes in storyboards. The storyboards are actually good. Yeah. Um, they generate like two different versions of the storyboard. So, um, as long as you don't need to do a landscape iPhone for iOS 7, you're fine. Um, the other catch is that you can't use the new adaptive segues and you, um, what's the other one? The, you can't query like trait classes or trait collection. So you have to kind of fall back to the old user interface query methods. But other than that, size classes works pretty well. Yeah, well, but if you're like a, if you're an iPhone app or something and you want to support like full support for the six plus or something like that, you're kind of out of luck, aren't you? <laughs> well, if you want to do, least. yeah. And if you want to do, well, you want, you wouldn't have to do seven on a six plus, but that's just, that's, well, that just won't the, ever occur. Yeah. In I just nature. meant the, the size class stuff, like for landscape, iPhone and all that fun stuff you wouldn't have access to. Right. Because you wouldn't have the compact height, but, um, I mean, you'd be running on, you'd be running, if you're running a six plus, you're running eight iOS eight. And so you could still do a compact height, uh, size class. It's just that it won't ever show up on a iOS 7 device. Yeah, well, and this is kind of a weird little detail, but I, I think when I was reading, I saw that you could do, I forget what it was, uh, if you, the hack to kind of get around that is you could use any whenever you wanted to use the, the other widths, which seems oh. like it would work for now, but it wouldn't work if, say, they come out with a new... Um, size class, like large for maybe a 13-inch iPad or something like that. Uh, so it sounds like a cool idea if I would have thought about it a year ago to implement size classes, but maybe not so useful <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the big thing is going to be running with uh, the uh, split-screen apps. That's That's going to be strange because your iPad app will all of a sudden conform down to a phone size app. If you have a vastly different UI for compact width versus a regular width, it's going to be kind of strange. I think in general, iOS 8 adds a lot of little details that make building more adaptive UIs easier. Like UI alert view controller, uh, split view controllers are now uh, supported on the iPhone. Uh, just all these little things add up that make your app a lot more adaptive. Right, which you have to make sure you're not using... If on the phone, if you're supporting seven, right. I know we just reworked one of the portions of our app at the, my day job, and we had a number of crashes where somebody forgot that such such and such thing wasn't on iOS seven popovers. Whoops. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> an easy fix. So with iOS nine and Swift, that becomes harder to accidentally do. The compiler will, will now warn you or give you an error if you try and use something that's not supported in your target. Yeah, and and one of the options you have for kind of all these fun things that get added uh, is you could, like, pull in a third-party library that kind of backports that functionality to to previous OSs, although you may... That may not <laughs> always be the best idea. I've I've worked on an app with, with you guys before that we attempted to do that and ran into all sorts of issues with the backport of collection view. Um, and actually, a friend of the podcast, uh, Josh Brown of Roadfire Software, just posted a, a good article about 
uh, kind of the criteria that you should uh, evaluate a third-party library on before adding it to your project, and it's, uh, it's definitely a good good piece. Yeah, it's kind of a, in a way a follow-up to our previous episode on dependency management tools. So even before you decide about CocoaPods or Carthage or some other solution, um, definitely you know, look at his article and, and make sure that the libraries that you're bringing in are something that you can support in the future and that will be supported as you go forward. Yeah, and one thing when you pull in your library, and I don't know if Josh mentioned that on his uh, list of items in his blog post because I was just skimming through it, but you have to check the license. Some licenses are more permissive than others. Some would like you to have some attribution in them, or some don't want you to, say, modify a header in the code or strip out the license. Most would not want you to strip out the license header in the code. And uh, Microsoft got in a little hot water because of this. And yeah, that's generally bad practice. <laughs> Yeah. So Sam, can you educate us about the uh, the whole Microsoft thing? I know I saw some kind of back and forth on, on Twitter about this, but I didn't really look into it that much. So what, what's going on with all that? Yeah. So so earlier this year, Microsoft announced a couple of cool, what at least seemed like cool technologies at their build conference, which is their big developer conference. And, uh, First one was the thing to port Android apps over to Windows Phone, which is fine. I don't care. But then uh, they also announced the library for porting iOS apps to Windows Phone. And it basically requires a recompilation. And so what they've done is take a bunch of the um, next step runtime, the, the foundation stuff, and I believe UI Kit as well, and kind of ported it to uh, the Windows API. And they released a preview of this library this past week. And I guess they had some kind of automatic source formatting sanitizer thing, and it stripped out a bunch of different licenses, but not every li- not every file got a license stripped. And so there were a few people that opened up an issue on GitHub and just said, hey, can you please restore these licenses? But it turns out that some of the licenses were even like uh, LGPL, and that could be kind of infectious for your code if you're not careful, depending on which version of the LGPL it uses. Uh, two is pretty safe, but three is uh, much more viral. So if you use LGPL three, there's a good chance that you would have to uh, legally uh, open source your app, which could be a little scary for people if they prize their source code. But for the most part, Microsoft was responsive about going back and saying, okay, we'll fix these things. We got somebody looking into it. And of course, there are a few, a few trolls out there. Some of the interesting things, there's a lot of uh, corners cut on this library right now. Um, I'm sure it'll be fixed up in the future, but if you're hoping to go out there and download this and try to get your app re- working reliably on the Windows phone, it, it's not going to be easy. Like they, they, um, hard coded some date 
calculation values. So like the number of seconds in a month, uh, they hard-coded that value. So your date difference, uh, your date math will be completely off if you're using these things. Seems problematic. <laughs> yeah, if you're a calendar app, it's uh, not going to work out so well for you. I mean, it does look like it was a 0.1 preview release, so they're not saying use this in production right now, are they? I don't, it doesn't seem like they are. No, definitely not. It's, it's, it's a preview. Not sure when Microsoft will take this public or, you know, with a 1.0 kind of thing. That's definitely not in conjunction with their Windows 10 release because that's already been out. Um, maybe this is one of the many projects the engineers that they let go recently were working on. So <laughs> I figured why not just put it out in open source and see if others will pick it up. Well, the thing is, a lot of the code for the runtime is uh, rebranded from this other open source project called Cocotron, which is the Cocoa APIs on top of Windows. And pretty much that was a very permissive license and pretty much a the only thing you had to do in that license was not remove the license. <laughs> Somehow Microsoft Whoops. managed to screw that one up. <laughs> so for folks listening, looking to pull in an open source project into their project, you definitely recommend thoroughly reading and understanding the license. Typically, I look for MIT licensed projects because they are fairly, fairly open and and non-restrictive in how you use them. Yeah, that's a pretty standard one in the community. And it definitely seems to be very popular in, in Objective-C and Swift projects. One you probably want to avoid is yeah. the GPL. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just depends on what you're trying to do. If you have an open source app, GPL is great. You know, we all benefit from open source things. But if you want to keep your source to yourself... If you want to release it on the App Store, I, I've seen arguments, and maybe they've worked this out somehow, but that the GPL wasn't even compatible with submitting apps through the App Store. Maybe they've kind of ironed those issues out now, but I, I think maybe originally the the common interpretation was that it wasn't. Yeah, I remember hearing something about that way back. So just be on the lookout for that. <laughs> Anyway, bottom line, if you value your source code, you definitely need to look at your licenses and make sure you're not pulling in a, a library that maybe you don't agree with the license or don't want to follow the license for. A lot of them do require attribution, so you will need to have some kind of about form, about page with them in there. It's not like there's going to be a whole lot of people tracking you down, but if you're a popular app, there's a good chance that somebody's going to take a look at your app internals as much as they can and say, hey, this guy's not following this open source license, and then you get a bad rep. Or get sued. Yeah, there's that possibility. Um, most of these licenses haven't been truly challenged in court. Uh, they usually never make it that far. Yeah. So most of the time the, the parties come to some agreement. But yeah, we all we all do benefit from open source tools. So if you're going to use open source code, it's great if you can contribute back as well. 
I know Alex or Argo, you've been using a open source tool lately, uh, Fastlane, right? Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm a Fastlane expert, but um, we've got a release that's getting close for us, and I was dreading going into Xcode or into Xcode and dealing with all the certificates and provisioning profiles and submitting, getting that in. And test flight and submitted to, to Apple for production. So I was like, all right, let's give this fast lane thing a try. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised. It kind of just worked, which is which was really weird. Uh, so I, I started off uh, kind of doing the install, which took a very long time because it pulls in a whole bunch of stuff. And I had no clue how much how much it depended on. When I originally heard of the idea of Fastlane, uh, which is kind of like this tool chain that lets you automate almost anything you'd want to do with kind of building and and testing your apps and getting them submitted, I was like, oh, there's all these other open source projects out there that people have been working on. Uh, I know Matt Thompson did a bunch of stuff where he wrote like command line tools to go into iTunes Connect and all this stuff. And I was pleasantly surprised that it was just kind of a a nice wrapper for a lot of those tools because I saw them getting installed when I installed Fastlane. <laughs> so that made me feel a little bit better about things. It wasn't just like someone's trying to completely reinvent the wheel because I didn't like how things were going. But um, So after I installed them, I just ran the, the Fastlane init command and you basically uh, put in your your app ID and the scheme that you need to run it. And it, it, it does all this cool stuff. You give it your, um, iTunes, uh, connect account information and it just stores the password in the keychain, So they don't like keep the, the password or anything like that, but it pulls it back from the keychain as well when it needs to do things. So it's very convenient. Uh, and even pulls down all of your metadata and screenshots from, uh, iTunes Connect with Transporter, which is Apple's tool that they have to let you automate all of your your metadata stuff. Um, so I ran this init command, I entered that stuff, and I'm like, all right, let's just see what happens if I type Fastlane Beta, which is the command to compile your app and upload it to to test flight. And I don't know about you guys, but my thought was like, all right, I'm going to have to configure, spend like another couple hours configuring things to get this to work. Would that be your your guys' uh, guess as well? That always seems to happen. Well, it actually just worked. Like I've, I've got CI scripts running that, you know, like build and do the unit tests and all that stuff. Uh, and it took a while to get that stuff up and running. Um, but I literally had to do no config other than saying having the the Fastlane stuff being the same directory as my project or, or workspace and telling it what scheme to use. Uh, and it built the app, uh, generated a provisioning pro- profile, used my existing cert, uh, and uploaded it to, to TestFlight. And I opened up my, my TestFlight app and it was in there. I was like, what just happened? <laughs> so 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 you never had your app on test flight prior to that or 
No, I have. To an existing... Okay. No, I've had it on there, but I was like, how did it do that? Because normally there's, you know, multiple steps to get things going. Um, my The biggest annoyance to me was always, so you upload the build to, to iTunes Connect, and then you have to wait like five or ten minutes until you can actually do anything with it uh, before it shows up in the interface. And mm-hmm. they actually have a thing built in that is pulling iTunes Connect waiting for it to show up. You can see like every minute when they <laughs> pull, which is... Oh, man. It's kind of crappy that you have to do it, but it's a better uh, command line tool do it than me, I guess, right? Yeah. So are they web scraping test flight, the iTunes Connect? They used to do that. Um, they now have a, a wrapper around the Apple Developer Center and iTunes Connect API called Spaceship that works directly mm. with the HTTP calls and uh, supposedly a lot faster than the web scraping approach they had. And they said it took, took it down from minutes to seconds. Nice. So this is like a, this is an unpublished API that Apple has? Yeah, you can find spaceship at details at spaceship.airforce. It's a it's a fun URL. Yeah. So yeah, I didn't. I thought they must be screen scraping or something. Just they've got to be still doing some screen scraping or something. Uh, just to have to wait and wait and wait until they verify that the build is up there. Maybe they're using the API to check for the available builds or something. Which in which case that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'd be kind of surprised but, if. Especially with some of the test flight related APIs, if if there really was a, a pure API for the for those things, uh, because I did it, have it fail one time, and I got a screenshot from iTunes Connect, so they at least have some way to get access to the the screen. It was funny; it like opened it the screenshot up in preview, but just for the for the lack of configuration that you need to do, I was I was thoroughly impressed with how it kind of just worked uh, for those specific things that I was trying to do. And I'm going to definitely spend some more time looking into it because, I mean, Fastlane covers a whole variety of different tools that I've only kind of touched the surface of. And that's one of the nice things about Fastlane is it's fairly modular and you can pick and choose what you want to use. I, I will say when I tried to use the snapshot tool, uh, previously, I had mixed results with it. Um, ran into some Ruby stack traces when I ran it against some legacy projects, but um, you know, so so it might depend on which modules you pick, and, and it's definitely evolved since last time I tried to use it. Yeah, and snapshots probably one I would stay away from. For a while, just just because Apple has kind of deprecated uh, UI automation, which is what it yeah. uses to to do its dirty work for the most part. Now, so, I do think um, there was a post not too long after uh, WWDC about it being updated to support the new UI testing automation tools instead of the UI automation. Really? So I. I or, or, oh wait, you're talking about us. 
Fastlane, right? Yeah, Fastlane, the, the author. Okay, I thought you were saying that they were updating UI automation, and I was pumped because I just did no. a lot of UI automation scripting a couple months ago. <laughs> no, I haven't heard anything about UI automation getting any uh, attention. but uh, Yeah, I think it's pretty much dead. I think I've seen some people on Twitter say that, essentially. So It wouldn't surprise me. There's an interesting module in here for Fastlane called Boarding, which will create a website for you for beta users to sign up for test flight for your app. Hmm. Interesting. I wonder if they use like, like a Sinatra app underneath the hood. Or... Well, most of these tools are written in Ruby, so I imagine it's some flavor of a Sinatra or a similar web framework. They even have a little deploy to Heroku button, so it's... It sounds like it's come a long way since the time we featured it as one of our picks. Yeah, definitely suggest people try it out. Love to hear feedback from our listeners on their experiences using Fastlane. Yeah, always. always uh, Any feedback you guys want to get, give us. Uh, we're open to hear it. Uh, just tweet our Twitter account at, uh, at SharedInst. So uh, we do have an app submission this week, guys. This is uh, from a former co-worker. Uh, name is Dominic. And Dominic works for a small startup in Chicago. And they've been working on an app called Meatball. So it's not uh, the traditional spelling of Meatball. It's M-E-E-T-B-A-L-L. It's, it's kind of an interesting app. And, you know, in a lot of ways, it's similar to, like, uh, meetup.com. But definitely tends to be a little bit more focused on events, uh, sporting events, NASCAR, football, um, college football, um, as well as you know, concerts and things like that. Not exactly the same as Meetup, but definitely around events and connecting with friends and being able to find them when you're at the venue and chatting with friends, um, whether you're sitting right next to each other or, or just hanging out at the same place. Um, that's how most teenagers do it, right? Yeah. Text, texting each other right next to each other. <laughs> yeah, so so in this case, you can quickly find friends that are at the same events, and it even has a neat little compass in the app that will help you navigate your way to them. You know, I, I think when they started, there was a lot of focus on tailgating and, and those types of get-togethers. And it's yeah. been evolving since then. And you can definitely host your own event. So if you want to invite friends to a party or something, you just go and find all your friends on Meatball and just throw up a... a the, it's like throwing a meatball, which seems kind of weird. But uh, just the images in my head, throwing a meatball, kind of makes me shudder. But anyway, yeah, you can easily kind of host your own events ad hoc and give a location and then people can easily find their way there and... I, believe you can see your friends arriving there as well so cool little app ui is nice yeah it's a nice clean nice clean modern ui uh and they do have like some group messaging features and, and stuff like that uh to help you meet up but yeah the coolest thing which they show on their website a bunch seems to be like the the screen where you give give like the compass directions to to find where everybody is like alex was saying mm -hmm. so check it out yeah i could see an app like this being useful at Something like WWDC, you know, where in the past used a combination of text messaging and 
find my friends and it kind of puts all that functionality in one place and ties it to this specific event yeah maybe we should try to use it next week when we're at 360 idev yeah yeah we've got a pretty good group of folks heading over there from cincinnati there's you know at least uh i think seven of us that we know of definitely would like to meet up with other people who listen to the podcast while we're out there Give us a shout out if if you're going to be there. We won't have any shared instance t-shirts or anything like that, but we will be there. You can find us. I'll have to change my Twitter avatar to something that people can recognize me by. But yeah, find us. We'll uh, knock back a few drinks with you, whatever. It'll be a good time. Seems like it'll be a fun well, conference. <laughs> yeah. We'll miss you, Argo. Have, yeah, have fun talking to those those two while you're out there. Maybe I'll go next year. When you're out there, when you're back here changing diapers, we'll be thinking about you. That's right. <laughs> You'll be like, ha that guy's changing diapers back at home. That's right. <laughs> well, well, uh, definitely in- enjoy Denver. Yeah, this is our first time, both for Sam and I, head out there uh, for this event. But uh, we've been told it, it's a great conference, lots of great speakers, and it's one of the biggest non-Apple conferences out there, so... Definitely looking forward to it. Yeah. And the city's nice, too. Now, Alex, you you did sign up for Night of Meat, right? I did, yes. Okay, good. So, yeah, we'll both be there at the Night of Meat. So if any of you have already signed up for that, it's at the Rodizio Grill, I think it's called. And that's a, that's a pretty cool restaurant. It's a lot of meat. Not looking forward to meat sweats the next day. But, yeah, hit us up while you're out there, and we'll uh, definitely say hi. Yep. You need to use the, the Meatball app for, you could call it Night of Meatball. <laughs> it's the wrong meat. Yeah. <laughs> You'll get plenty of the other kind of meat at the restaurant, I'm sure. Yeah. All right, enough joking so, about meat. I think oh. we're about out of time here. You guys want to tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at Alan Sargo. I'm at AJ Robinson. And I'm at Sam Quarter. You can find the show notes for this episode and all episodes at sharedinstance.com. And please reach out to us on Twitter at SharedInst or email us at sharedinstancepodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>